tonight the making of a revival. How many of you have ever heard of any history on revivals? Anybody ever study the history on revival, what God is doing? Do you know that you are a walking revival? Do you know God expects your life to be the exemplary of the kingdom and the glory of God? You are revival. We're not looking for revival. Revival isn't at a place. You are revival. You are the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you. And wherever you go, you bring reviving. You revive. You have the power of the Holy Spirit because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, amen, it is the spirit of resurrection life. And we're going to be just looking at some things about revival tonight. And uh, I believe the Lord wants to stir our cities. I believe he wants to break demonic dominions over cities. Do you believe that? I'm going to believe the Lord wants to break. He wants the power of his kingdom to come on our, on our earth, in our planet. He wants to come in our cities, our homes, our families, our marriages. His desire is for his power in his glory to resonate and flow through you. And that's what he's, he's doing right now. You know, I had, a, <clears throat> I had an interesting situation yesterday happen. I had a gentleman that used to attend New Life Fellowship over 15 years ago. He was just a boy when he used to come to New Life. I mean, he was literally a boy. He's, he's a man now, and he's come through the service. He's, he's gone into the military. He's out of the military. And, and, he, and he contacted me yesterday. And uh, just a awesome young man, but he used to attend the church here. And he said, you know, Pastor Ray, uh, since we left New Life, my life has just gone downhill. I went into the military, and uh, I, I know I was raised in the church. And by the way, I know his parents, awesome parents, great parents. But he said, you know, I, I, I got into the military and one of the things that happened to me is that uh, there's a lot of, sometimes there's downtime, and I got bored. And he said, I, I was facing a crossroads. And there were some guys that were Christians, but there were many more that were boozers and drug druggies. And, and, they, and he says, I just decided to go with that crowd instead of the Christians. I, I knew the decision I was making. And I remember... What you taught me, Pastor. I remember what my parents taught me. But I chose to reject that. And I got involved in drinking. Started with beer, went into Jack Daniels, and from there I got into smoking and doing the pot thing. And, and then he said that when he, got out of the, uh, when he got out of the service, I came back to uh, America and got back into the, land, uh, back into the city he made mention of this. He says, you know, I just started going into strip clubs, and I just got involved. And this is exactly what he said. I, I fell in love with a stripper. That's what he said. Fell in love with a stripper. And he was calling me yesterday and asking me if I could pray for his relationship. And I said, wow. I said, do you know what you're asking? He says, yes, I just have a broken heart. And and I said, brother, you know, I said, uh, right now you just don't need a relationship. You need the Lord in your life. And I just prayed with him, and I talked to him about his need for Christ. And uh, he, he was just 
The interesting thing about it was that he didn't really see anything wrong with where he was. Because do you know that sin has the power to deceive you over a period of time? The Bible even says that there will come a day, and it's, it's the word in the Greek there is the word reprobate, where you lose your ability, you, you lose your inner compass. You, you no longer call sin, sin. But he, he said, you know, Ray, I, I did grow up, uh, even though I heard the gospel, I had never fully come to experience a revival or reviving in my own life. He says, I've always known God to be more of a judge than a father. I've never known him to be a loving father in my life. And I really need the Lord. And I said, you know what? Everything you've done, everything that you, all the choices you've made are under the blood of Jesus right now. And you are actually forgiven. And do you know that your heavenly father looks at you with a smile on his face and his desire, he pleads with you to come back to him. I just prayed with him and he says, right now, I'm just confused. And I said, well, you, we know uh, where the confusion comes from. The Bible says that Satan is the author of confusion. And I said, you know, your heavenly father wants to touch your heart, wants to bring you back. He wants to give you fresh direction for your life. So I'm working with this guy even right now. But I want to tell you folks something. Is that we have a society where there's a lot of people that go to church. That have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And they haven't really come to know their Heavenly Father. Many of them have been brought up in legalistic structures and religious backgrounds. Many of them have never come to know who Christ is, and what Christ wants them to experience. Do you know that if you do not experience what Christ has for you, then you begin to serve God out of duty, and it becomes more of a ritual, and you will find yourself falling into the entrapment of just doing tasks for Jesus. You will find that your, your works, even your good works, will be out of duty. And if it's not compelled or motivated by love and motivated by glory, you know, the Lord wants us to behold his glory. Amen. The Bible says, and we all, the Bible says that Jesus was the word made flesh and dwelt among us, and we all beheld his glory, the glory of of the Father, the fullness of the Father. And that's what he wants us to behold. And so one of the things that I was trying to share with this young man, I said, God wants to show you the fullness of the Father. He wants to show you the fullness of his glory. But all he was talking about was all the things that he did wrong. And I said, that's what Satan does. He wants to remind you of the things you've done wrong. But Jesus reminds you of what he's done for you at the cross in redeeming sanctifying, cleansing you, and washing you. And I want to tell you something. You know, sin can really do a number on us, can't it? Sin can really do a number on our lives. And when it does a number on our lives, all of a sudden we sit there and we rehearse what we've done wrong and we try to fix our own life and our own problem. We can't fix it. 
We have to just simply surrender things to him that we cannot fix and ask the Lord, invite him to begin to control and lead and guide and begin to bring that impartation. But I want to take you into the scripture tonight. And I want to start with Acts chapter 1, what the making of revival, because when God begins to move in our hearts, it's going to begin to spread out. Everyone say spread out. God wants your life to spread. He wants your life to be a river. Amen. How many of you know we're not a lake, we're a river? Jesus said, out of your bellies, and he's not really talking about your physical bellies, but he's talking about the heart in the area of your out of your bellies will flow rivers. In other words, your life is a constant refreshing. Nehem, you're a mighty man of God, a refreshing to people. Vince, mighty man of God, a refreshing. It's so funny. Last night, Vince and I were talking on the phone. He's, he's writing an awesome book, by the way. And uh, Vince, I got to tell on you. I just got to say this. But Vince was saying, you know, Pastor, I just wrote this book, and now I'm going back and feeling like I need to rewrite things. And and uh, I said to him, you know, Vince, God has given you endless revelation. I said, I hear book two in the making here. You know, there's book number two coming out probably. <laughs> I put no, no pressure, Vince, no pressure. <laughs> but you know what? what's happening is God gave him revelation a year, two years ago as he was writing the book. But God, how many of you know the Holy Spirit never stops giving us revelation? He continually unfolds revelation and glory and the goodness of God to us. And what he's doing in Vince is he's continually unfolding the knowledge and the wisdom of Jesus. And that's what sets us free. That's what gives us the victory. That was gives us conquering power. But here Jesus said after the in the days of, of uh, in Acts chapter one here in verse seven, very clearly Jesus said um, as they came together in verse 7, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost ends of the earth. Everyone say power. God wants us to have power. You know, I was reading of one particular revival. How many of you have ever heard of Evan Roberts? Anybody have ever heard of Evan Roberts? He was really one man who God used in starting the Welsh Revival in England. How many of you have ever heard of the Welsh Revival? The Azusa Street? Well, he was a man who for one year gave himself to prayer. He gave himself to prayer and fasting for these coal miners in South England, and he would pray and fast, and he was asking God, and it was noted in some of his books, the two words that he would bring before the Lord when he was praying and interceding for those in England. He says, Lord, bend me. That was his word. He just said, bend me, Lord, bend me. And he was really asking God to bring a breaking in his life, not out of uh, just to convict him, but break him with his love. Break England. And in one year, after one year of prayer and intercession, uh, uh, a revival began to break out among these coal miners. I mean, it began to affect the entire villages in the cities there in South Wales. And I was just reading this today, that the revival 
it so touched those small towns down there in South Wales that policemen were looking for other jobs because people that were incarcerated in jails were getting set free and saved. They had nobody to arrest. In fact, this is a true story. The police department at that time, because they had no, nobody to arrest, nobody to, to, to patrol, they submitted their names to the churches to be the first male vocal choir to sing in the churches during those revivals because they had nothing else to do. So those in, the, in that Welsh revival, these guys decided, you know what, we aren't arresting anybody. There's nobody to arrest because everybody's getting saved. The prisons, the jails were being emptied because, I mean, revival affects the community. That's what real revival. Revival isn't just what happens in the church. But revival is when the church affects the community in such a way that the vision, the, the political scene, the, uh, the ideology of, of the community begins to change. People literally begin to flock towards the presence of God. And in those days, by the way, when those revivals would break out, there, there was no preaching. There was hardly any singing. Because when people would come near those places of prayer, of worship and, and prayer and worship, they, there would be people over days who would be slain in the Spirit. They would just be soaking and, and resting in God's presence, and the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Lives were being changed. Many were called to different functions of ministry, and, and, and the Lord was giving wisdom. The healing of lives among those coal miners was phenomenal during the days of the Welsh Revival. It was a phenomenal thing. God began to heal the economy because man's heart was aligned back with the Father. Do you know that God heals the nation when we align ourselves with him? See, revival is not just to be a bless-me club in the church. Revival affects the economy. It affects politics. It affects education. It affects the whole mentality of the community because in the heavenlies, demonic strongholds are broken. The demonic strongholds are broken. Ordinary people become extraordinary in their, the way they live, the way they think, and the way they move. Do you know that God has called you to be extraordinary? To be an individual that has supernatural wisdom, supernatural love, supernatural faith. He's called you to be supernatural. And you know, when we come into the book of Acts, this book, by the way, is such a controversial book. That's why you have a lot of religions today only see this as historical. They don't see this as a present truth reality. Notice as you go into chapter 5, it says, Through the hands of the apostles, signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were with one accord in Solomon's ports. Think about that. The people were in unity. None of the rest dared join them, but the people highly esteemed them. And the believers increased, added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women, so that they brought out their sick into the, sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches at, that at least the shadow of Peter's passing might fall on some of them. 
And a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Everyone say, all healed. You know, Carol and I, every day, we're praying that God brings us somebody who's sick. We're just asking God, bring the sick. We're believing God for And you know what's happening? God's healing the sick. He really is. He's healing the sick. He's really doing some, you know, in my brother-in-law's church in Clackamas, Oregon right now, I'm not kidding you. There is a move of God in my brother-in-law's church, Joel. He was with us here uh, a month or two ago. But he said, Ray, you know what? There's some really strange things happening in our church. And I, I said, I'm going to tell you, but I, it's, it's, it's God. How many of you know when God says he pours out his spirit, it's gonna, there's going to be signs and wonders? A wonder means that is, it's not normal. It's not natural. But, and uh, he's saying there are people that have actually had gold feelings put in their teeth. There has been interesting things such as feathers coming down on the congregation. Feathers. I don't know. You know, there's, there's no explanation for it. There's, I said, well, you, did you check the heat ducts? Is there any, anybody put anything in the heat ducts? He said, Ray, there's nothing. He says, all of a sudden, these feathers land. We've seen a mist of the cloud. We've, seen, we've actually viewed and seen a mist in, in our sanctuary. These, these phenomenal things take place. Now, I know a lot of people would like to say, oh, Pastor Ray, now you're really getting off into la-la land here. No. Signs and wonders were part of the early church. And I want to tell you why. It's not that we're here to seek the signs. But what God is trying to say is he wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants to bring the reality of his kingdom down here upon us. And in order for that to happen, we're going to get into that in a minute. But let's continue to look at what happens. I want you to jump over with me in Acts chapter 6. Notice what happens. In Acts 6, in verse 1, in those days when the numbers of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews. In other words, in this particular issue, because of the growth of the church, there were widows that were being neglected. But I want to focus your attention down in verse 4, where Peter got up with the apostles and said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Guess what is the foundation of any revival? Prayer. I want to tell you something too, New Life. The Lord has been laying on my heart, and I'm still in prayer. I still don't know how this is going to come together. But the Lord has been dealing with me about starting a ministry of prayer in new life. I really, I mean, the Lord has been speaking to me, Ray, a ministry of prayer in this house. Now, I know we pray on Sundays and we pray in our, uh, in our homes, but I felt like the Lord says, Ray, we need to gather the people. And have a ministry of prayer warriors. We all need to be praying. But we need to be a house of prayer. Amen? We need to be a house of prayer. And this was evident in the early church. Jump over with me into Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. It says, Then the churches throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they were multiplied. Verse 32. 
And it came to pass that as Peter went throughout all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, now listen to this. This is powerful. Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make up your bed. And then he immediately, then he arose immediately. Now notice verse 35. So all who dwelt at Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Do you hear what that is saying? That is a city-wide revival. Those two cities, Sharon and Lydia, turned to the Lord. Because of one miracle, those entire villages turned to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? But I love what, what Peter said. He didn't pray for this man. He just says, Jesus, the Christ, heals you. Have you ever prayed for somebody or said that to somebody? You're healed. You're healed. In Jesus' name, you are healed. There's power in that name. You know what? We have to begin to believe that we are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You are a dwelling place. You possess within you all the power and all the fullness of the Godhead bodily right now. Because it was in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we are in him, and the glory of the Father dwells in us, and we in him, and him in Christ, and we all are one. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, you know what? We have to begin to take some steps in the way we think, don't we? We have to begin to renew our mind and begin to reprogram. We, we're always thinking that we've got to put things together here before we feel worthy enough to do something like that. I want you to know that when God used a man by the name of Peter, when he began to heal the man as he went into the temple, took his hand and raised him up, do you know that 40 days, 40 days, that's less than two months before the day of Pentecost took place, Peter had denied the Lord, cussed and swore that he never knew Jesus. That was within two months. And yet within two months later, this man opened the book of Acts chapter 2. Now am I suggesting, well, Pastor Ray, does that mean we can just live in sin and walk in the power of God too? No, that's not what we're saying. But you know what? When the Holy Ghost comes in you, he comes as in you as a refiner's fire. How many of you got fire in you? I got fire in me. And you know when you have fire in you? You're full of passion. You're full of life. When the fire of God is in you, you pray differently. You see things differently. You prophesy differently. You begin to look at your family and you look at your church, you look at your community differently. You begin to see the possibilities of what God can do. You begin to see the good news instead of the bad news. You see it that way. Because there's holy fire in you. You possess something. You possess a heavenly faith that is not yours. It's not natural faith. It's eternal. You possess an eternal life. 
You don't think in terms of things that are temporal. You think in terms of the eternal. You are walking in the eternal life, the abundant Zoe kind of life. You begin to think in a wisdom that is not natural. It's supernatural. I'll tell you, that's what was happening here with these men and women. Notice down verse 36. In Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which was translated Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works, charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days when she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they had laid her up in the upper room since Lydia was near Joppa. And the disciples heard that Peter was there and they sent two men to him, imploring them not to delay coming to them. Notice they didn't call for the coroner's. Wouldn't it be neat when people die that you call for Pastor Ray and the leaders? So next time you have someone to die, I want you to call me. You say, Ray, come on. Are you really mean it? Yes. I want want to tell you guys something. This might just kind of spook you. I've been laying my hands on some dead bodies lately. I'm praying that God's going to raise them from the dead. You really believe that, Pastor Ray? Mm Mm-hmm. I've laid my hands on some dead corpses in the past year, too. I wish I could say, I, I'd be happy if I get a twitch. <laughs> but I'm laying, I, you, you mean, Pastor Ray, we are really supposed to raise the dead? The Bible says heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. That's what the Bible teaches. And it goes on here, then Peter rose and went with them, verse 39, and he'd come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by their weeping, showing the tunics and garments Dorcas made while she was with them. And Peter put them all out. Notice that verse 40. Peter put them all out. You know what? Sometimes you've got to get rid of unbelief before you can walk in the power. Unbelief will always... You know why you had to put them out? Is because there's too much rational thinking. There's too much reasoning. There's too much of this, well, what is okay. Now, I stop. Hold it. Hold it. Come on now. <laughs> and Peter put them all out, and he knelt down and prayed, turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her her hand and lifted her up. When he had called her, the saints, widows, presented her alive. It became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed with them many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. Jump over with me to Acts 13. Acts 13. The making of a revival. Actually, in Acts chapter 13, where Paul has been converted, saved, he's preaching with boldness. He stands and preaches it at it, uh, Antioch, and as he's declaring the word of the Lord, notice what it says in starting in verse 35 or verse 36. And he's quoting Psalms to David. He's preaching to the Jews here. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he, Jesus, whom God raised up, saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, That through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. Here's the gospel. The forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from what? 
Everyone say all things. You know what? Some people don't really believe that. You're justified from all things. That means he's made, made right with God, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken to you and the prophets come to you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days. I work which you will by no means believe, though were one were to declare it to you. Blessing and conflict at Antioch, verse 42. And when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged, notice this, that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. In other words, will you preach this message again? Now here is where Paul turns from the Jews. And at the end of the chapter, notice what it says on this, verse 44. On the next day, the whole city came together. Here's, this is revival. The whole city came together to hear the word of God. Notice what they didn't do. They didn't come to hear a choir. They didn't come to hear somebody just share a bunch of things. They come to hear the word of God. There was such a hunger for God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, And judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. And as you go on down here in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. As many as have been appointed to eternal life have believed. Do you know something? Do you know when you give people the truth? And you really give them the truth of the good news. Do you know it really makes their day? When you tell people that Jesus not only loves them, but they have been made right with the Father, it is a shocking revelation to them. I'm not kidding you. Carol and I have been doing this. We've been going up to people in restaurants, into the stores, and the malls. We've been coming up, and we were asking the Holy Spirit to lead us. We're asking the Lord to lead us. But what is so amazing is I've never yet had anybody, I should say this year, has not had anybody yet reject the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean they've all turned to the Lord, but they've heard it. And they were encouraged by that. And a seed was sown. And they've gone away thinking, wow, that has been a real course changer for me. And you know what's so amazing is when you begin to pray for them, And you really lay your hands and pray over people. You know what will happen? There's a divine impartation, and they will feel it. They will sense something has come upon them. But you know what we got to do? We got to get over this fear, don't we? We got to get over pride. We got to get over these issues in our life, and we need to realize that we are truly ambassadors. We have a message. We have something that's powerful. I want you to jump with me back into Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. This is in the last book of the Old Testament. What is revival like? How does it come? Malachi prophesied this. Moses prophesied this. David prophesied this. You know this passage. Behold, I send my messenger 
verse 1, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord, and who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launder's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and as a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold as silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Jude in Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, perjurers, and those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away the alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord. For I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. That's grace. Everyone say grace. God says, I'm coming to refine you, but not kill you. Praise God. Aren't you glad when the Holy Spirit is so gentle and so caring and He's so clear to remove things that are destroying you without destroying you? He loves you enough. I'm not here to consume you. I'm here to cleanse you and wash you. And you know how He does it? With His presence. Do you know that you've been made a dwelling place? You are the tabernacle of God. You know, I was reading this morning in my devotions when Jacob was running from his brother Esau. And you remember what happened back there in Genesis 28? Jacob was running because his mother taught him to lie, taught him to steal, taught him to run from his brother. In fact, here is a mother who taught her son how to steal and lie from her brother. Boy, there's enough in that chapter to make a soap opera for California, for Hollywood. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you have a conspiracy, you have hatred, you have envy, and you have uh, uh, a wrong thinking and just a whole bunch of garbage going on in that family. Isaac and Rebecca had a serious marriage problem. I mean, she couldn't even talk to her own husband. Isaac is getting old. Rebecca has a problem with her eldest son, Esau, because he's marrying the Canaanite women, and he's grieving his parents. And so because of that, she contrives and manipulates and puts this plot together to have Jacob steal his brother's birthright. And this is some real family dysfunction. And so Jacob goes along with it. He learns to lie. He learns to be manipulative. He learns to be a cunning, crafty deceiver. And they deceive their father, his father. And then after that, because of the whole thing, Esau becomes angry and he sets out to kill his brother Jacob. And Rebekah hears about it and she says, Jacob, I want you to head north and get to your uncle Laban's house as quick as you can. Things are pretty bad in the house here. Sounds like a real... Home in America, doesn't. Now, isn't this amazing? What is so amazing to me is that why would God choose a family like that? Why would God use such a dysfunctional family as an example in whom he said, 
that through you, Jacob, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isn't that amazing? That God would choose a family like that, a broken family. Dysfunctional marriage, dysfunction in the children, dysfunction. And yet what we have is Jacob now is on the run. He's running north. And one night he gets tired, he lays down, he gets a rock, lays on it, and God gives him a dream. And isn't the dream amazing where he, the Bible says that he has this dream and he sees a ladder from earth to heaven and he sees God on the top of the ladder and these angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And the Bible says that when he wakes up in the morning, Jacob is so amazed that he says, God is in this place for I have seen the face of God. I mean, he is so astonished by this revelation. And God begins to tell him. He doesn't give him any rebukes. He doesn't scold him. He says, hey, hey, Jacob, I am the God of your father, Abraham, and your father, Isaac, and I'm your God. And by the way, I want to bless you. I want to increase you. I want you to know that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, how many of you think, wow, that's not the word I would have given Jacob. I would have said, Jacob, you rat, turn back and go give your birthright to your brother. You thief and you liar. I'm going to straighten you out. If you want to get anything good out of me, you're going to straighten up first. That's the way I would have thought. But that's not the way our Heavenly Father did it. God comes and he begins to give this little renegade rebel and liar and thief promises. Now, I'm looking at you guys right now. You're almost like, some of you are looking at me like, wow, Pastor Ray, this is, this is really strange. It's almost like we're just kind of shoving sin under the, the rug here. No, 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 no. No, it's not at all. You see, God says, Jacob, you're going to go away, but then you're going to come back. And when you come back, I'm going to give you this land as an inheritance. And the thing that God promises, he says this, wherever you go, I will be with you, Jacob. And I'm going to bless you, Jacob. Now, why would God do such a thing? Anyone want to take a guess? Why would God speak like that to Jacob? Anyone? For his name's sake, right? What, what do you think God's plan was? Why would God speak like that to Jacob? Yes, Jeannie? Bingo. So God was showing his kindness and goodness to this little renegade, wasn't he? Saw him as he was. What he was going to become, wasn't he? He was speaking eternity, speaking that future promise into him. Isn't that amazing about God's love and God's grace here? Folks, that is revival. Revival is when we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us because of the blood of Jesus, the shed blood. We are not under a curse anymore. We are not cursed. We are blessed and highly favored. And you know what? When you begin to tell people that you no longer have a problem, you no longer have a sin problem, do you know what they do? They look at you and shake their head. What do you mean I don't have a sin problem? You don't have a sin problem. Well, yes, I do have a problem. No, you don't. 
Jesus take, took care of your sins. He's dealt with it. And he's made you a priest unto God. He's called you a special treasure, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a man and a woman who will show forth the praises of God, who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jump over with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Powerful text. Colossians chapter 1. Thank you, Lord. Notice what it says. Verse 11. Strengthened with all might, according to the glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Everyone say qualified. This is so important. You have been pre-qualified. That means you're unpunishable. You're pre-qualified. Even before you start this thing, he's pre-qualified you. To receive an inheritance. He has delivered us from the powers of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Strengthened us, qualified us, delivered us, conveyed us. That's powerful. That, that means that if I've been conveyed into the kingdom, that means that his dominion, authority, and power... That means heaven literally resides in me. I am a walking heaven. I have the power to spread heaven. I have the power to convey heaven to you. Boy, it's awful quiet. I should be be hearing so many amens out of this room right now. There's heaven in you. You have the mind of Christ. You have the glory of Christ. The Bible says when we turn to the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is that freedom. For wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When a man turns to the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him in the form of freedom and liberty. What are you free from? What has God set you free from? Death, the curse, damnation, yourself, your fears. You have unlimited capability. God's grace is divine power and favor on you. It is a favor upon you that not only in the present tense, in the present state of where you're at, but it's a favor that goes before you, before you even, do you know that, do you know that God's favor is already in the future? It's already ahead of you. The favor of God is, God has already put favor on your plans tomorrow, the next week, the next month. The favor of God has been destined See, when it says he's the Alpha and Omega, that means that he started this thing, he's going to end it, and he's going to watch it carry through all the way through. And that's, that's what it says here. Notice verse 15. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That means that what things you are going through, he's already in it. And he is already destined favor, blessing. He's destined an outcome that is favorable on your behalf. That's where when Paul in Romans 8.28 spoke to the Romans and he says, All things work together for good to them that are called of God and those who love God are called according to his purposes. All things work together for good. In other words, you cannot fail. You cannot fail. And he is the firstborn of all, all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. And that, that's what's so powerful. He's, he's who, is the, who is the beginning. He is my beginning. The firstborn from the dead, and in all things, he that he may have the preeminence. He has preeminence in you. That means he has the final word. He has that authority. In, now listen, folks. He's just looking for somebody to agree with him on earth. That power and that glory is already in heaven. He's looking for somebody here on this planet to say, Father, heal this man in Jesus' name. I speak to my marriage. Be whole in Jesus' name. You know what my wife and I are doing? We do this. We've already done But you know what we do? We speak blessing over each other. She says, Ray, you're a mighty man of God. You're a man of dominion and authority. I said, I receive that. I look at my wife and I call her a woman of authority, a woman of dominion, a woman of great beauty, a woman whose price is far above rubies, a woman of great glory and, and, and splendor. We, we declare blessing. We speak favor. Do you know what we're doing when we declare these words? We are actually sending the angelic hosts of heaven. Do you know why Joseph, Jacob, I mean, saw those angels ascending and descending? Because those angels were angels of assignment. They were going on assignment on behalf, not only the will of the Father, but for the will of those on earth who agree with the Father. They are messengers for you. You know something? I, I had a vision. I was telling my son David this. I had a little vision. David came over to my house the other day, uh, a week ago. He just came in, and he left. And he was going out to the car. And the Lord gave me a vision about David. And I, I, I feel that this is not just for him, but for all of us. But it was like a split second. The Lord gave me a vision of David, and there was a posse of angels around David. I saw these tiny angels and massive angels, big and small. And everywhere David went, about 20, 30, 40 angels went with him. He'd go over here and they'd follow him. They'd go over here and they'd follow him. And everywhere, and when David would speak a word, these angels would, like lightning, just go 
on their assignment because David spoke that word. And I said, wow, God, that's amazing. These angels were following him like a little puppy.